Welcome to the Vacation Effect Podcast, where we discuss time and lifestyle hacks for the busy entrepreneur, helping you grow your business even faster by working less and having a lot more fun. Now, here's your host, Denise Gosnell. Hi, this is Denise Gosnell, and welcome to today's episode of the Vacation Effect Podcast. I'm really excited to have my good friend, Mike Koenigs, with us here today. Mike is a serial entrepreneur, angel investor, judge on entrepreneur.com's elevator pitch, and a 13-time best-selling author. Mike helps business owners and entrepreneurs get paid for being instead of doing by elevating their status and message to create more impact, income, and freedom. Mike's companies have helped over 57,000 customers in 121 different countries gain attention and engagement. He's also helped over 1,800 business owners become best-selling authors. Mike is a regular contributor and columnist for Entrepreneur and Forbes magazines, and he's also interviewed, consulted, and advised numerous celebrity clients, billionaires, and best-selling authors, including Tony Robbins, Paula Abdul, Harvey McKay, and Darren Hardy, just to name a few. Welcome, Mike. I'm so glad to have you on the show today. It's my pleasure. I love you, Denise. Man, I, I love you too. And I was just thinking back on how long you and I have known each other. I think it's been over a decade now. I met through Frank Kern and then I had the pleasure of working with you, helping you build your IP portfolio back when I was a patent lawyer and you sold off those companies. So it's been fun getting to know you over the years. The same. I've watched and, and, and enjoyed your evolution. And I'm going to just go on record and say we met, I would bet, either a decade or 11 years ago. So that does provide some interesting and fascinating history for sure, because you've reinvented yourself multiple times and look at you now. Unbelievable. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's so fun to kind of grow together with friends over the years and see the path that we've all taken. And, you know, with you, the most interesting thing and, you know, scary as well, I'm sure that I'm hoping you're willing to share today because I think people can learn a lot from you here is, everything that you went through with your whole cancer scare and all the things that you learned through that process. So you told me some incredible stories that I'm looking forward to sharing with this audience because man, you're a rock star. You're my hero with everything you went through there. So I'm teasing everybody with what we're going to talk about, but Mike, Mike's got some great stuff to share here. <laughs> I told you no rules. You just ask questions. I'll answer full transparency. We'll go as deep and narrow as you want to go. Okay. Awesome. Well, would you tell us a little bit about, you know, what happened with your whole cancer scare? Thank God you're st still here with us. And I know you, you know, went through um, that and what some health hacks are that you learned along the way. Sure. The, the backstory is I've been a pretty hard driving entrepreneur since I was, I started working the day I turned 16 years old full time and started numerous businesses, startups, and always worked hard. I came from a hardworking background. My dad is a barber. He grew up very poor on a little farm in Iowa. And after a couple startups, my first startup cost me my first marriage and certainly my health and my sanity to a degree. And I jumped right into the next thing and the next thing. And I spent a lot of time on the road, traveling, not paying attention to my body, definitely not paying attention to my spirit and my soul, I will say. And along the way, it definitely started damaging my marriage that I, I'm currently in and my health. And I noticed I was bleeding out of my rear end and I ignored the signs. I said, ah, it's just 
a bleeding hemorrhoid because my dad had hemorrhoids. I had had them over the years, which were stress related as well. And finally, I told my wife, I felt a little weird. And she said, and I told her about that. And she said, you got to get to the doctor now. Of course, I waited too long. I missed my appointment with uh, doing the colonoscopy. And finally, when I got in, went under, the doctor comes out. He's waiting for me as I wake up. And he goes, you, sir, have a problem. You've got a five and a half centimeter tumor. It's above your rectum and your lower sigmoid. And I've seen this many times. I don't need a biopsy to tell you what you got. You got to get that thing cut out of you. You're a dead man in less than six months. And mm. he says, here's the number of a great surgeon. Here's the number of a radiation oncologist and an oncologist. I want you to make appointments with them right now. You should get that thing cut out of you this weekend. So um, I proceeded to follow his orders. And the next thing that my oncologist said to me is uh, he looked at me after, and by this, this time, you know, it took a couple of days, biopsy comes out, of course it's cancer and it was stage three a, and they, uh, my oncologist said to me, Mike, he's actually Indian. So he goes, Mike, <laughs> I own your ass literally and figuratively for at least a year. Oh my God. Uh, Dr. Ba Dr. Banerjee. And to this day, he and I have got a great rapport. I still see him every six months. He's awesome. And, and what wound up happening became a crazy adventure that I will say one of the reasons I am alive today is because, A, I got a strong will to live and a lot to live for. But the other thing is I figured out how to hack the healthcare system and get an enormous amount of attention and investment by doctors, and they invested significantly more time in me because I learned how to ask great questions and get them emotionally connected, concerned, and involved in ways they're not used to. Gotcha. Well, and so before you finish the rest of that story, at that time, can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing as an entrepreneur? You were, you had some different internet companies, right? So you're, you know, you're you're doing something at the moment you find out this news, this life changing news. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really, <laughs> so I've got a son who's 10 years old, my wife, and there was, we were definitely struggling and at each other because I wasn't around. I was not attentive. I was just basically a big dumb jerk. And I was focused on making money, building businesses, pushing this thing as hard as I could so it could go public or get acquired and it'd be that hundred million dollar exit. So I had traffic guys or an instant customer at the time. We had gone through multiple ups and downs, some huge ups, massive launches and great income. And then we also, through that, I wasn't ready or mature enough to deal with the rapid success and the growth. It pressed every seam of every relationship I was in. I had two business partners. The guy I started the company with, we eventually bought out the first one, which cost us millions of dollars. That added some stress. And right around the time I got sick, my second partner said he wanted to leave. And then I got this news. And the truth was the business was in a decline because we, we had a whole bunch of just growing pains and issues that I didn't know how to deal with. I was ill-equipped. And suddenly I get this message. And the truth is, you know, who knows what's going to happen? I got doctors telling me, 
and people around me who really cared. I was in a mastermind group at the time with John Asaraf, Darren Hardy, uh, Eric Berman, who ran Brian Tracy's business, and a couple other just rock star entrepreneurs, really brilliant guys. And all of them said, just quit, shut down your companies and get well. Not, none of this stuff's worth it. And um, one of the guys, Ed Rush, who was also in the group, said, I'll be your voice. I'll come in and I'll, I'll handle things. You go get well. And my team kicked in and made up for the difference while I went through surgery, grueling chemotherapy, which just, you know, it, it brings you to the point of death to poison the cancer cells in you and, and weakens every part of you. And then from there, I ended up doing radiation treatments at Duke, which was on the other side of the country. I lived in San Diego. It, was that when you were only conscious for like one or two hours a day? And we, I remember texting you and during one of those hours a day, you texted me back, hey, Denise, got to be quick, only conscious one or two hours a day, doing okay, but it's rough, still running the companies. It was something like that, that I think you told me. <laughs> so pretty much. Tell us more about that. That's, that's what I call forced hyper-efficiency. <laughs> so. well, what, what happens is, you know, the way the chemo cycle works is... Um, I had a port in my chest, so they've put this big metal port inside you so they don't have to put a needle in your arm because your all your veins collapse from chemo. It just basically destroys the cell walls pretty much forever. I still have very weak veins to this day, but you go in uh, every other week and get this cocktail and it's very rough. And what happens, it just feels like you could just feel this weird feeling like something is being injected in you. And then you taste metal, you know, so you're like, yeah, you know, and, and, and you can tell toxins are going inside you. So I got something called FU5 and full Fox. That's the cocktail. And they also inject you with steroids while you're doing this. So um, it at least gives you a little bit of strength and power. And so you feel great for like a day, even though you feel toxic and then you just crash and what happens is after multiple treatments, your first one, you're like, you just feel kind of like crap. The second one, you're kind of low energy and you feel cruddy. And by the third one, you're down and you're laying in bed super weak. But by the time you get your seventh, eighth, ninth treatment, you're, you're weak until the day before your next treatment. So that's basically what happens. So I went from that and they give you a couple weeks off before you go into radiation. And when I talked to you, I was at Duke. Um, getting daily radiation treatments, which basically means they're zapping your lower sides. And so it's like getting a constant sunburn in your body. And just imagine it's, it's, it's right from where you're excreting. So everything burns in and out. And then on top of that, I'm taking oral chemo and the combination just knocks your rear end for a loop. And going back to answering your direct question, now that we got the context down, I had about an hour of strength a day. So I'd get up in the morning, go to treatment, and then I'd come home. And that's when, you know, I'd try to eat something and nothing stays inside you for longer in like seconds is what happens. And then, you know, but you got to get some calories in you. And then from there, I'd medicate towards the end, you know, after a couple hours. So they gave you a lorazepam and, and, uh, hell is it called? It's basically an oral um, morphine, hydromorphone. And um, so I just made a game out of survival every day. 
and I had my hour of strength in between so I could get something done, make a couple of calls, be reasonably conscious. And the rest of the, rest of the time, you're basically in the fetal position. And, you know, the way I got through it is I just said, all I got to do is live five more minutes. All I got to do is live five more minutes. And usually get up to the bathroom, <laughs> just be, you know, get cleaned out, come back in. And, and I was sitting on the toilet. My worst day was 37 times in one day. Oh my gosh. So, so just, you know, just for context, you know, for the listeners here, I mean, like you were running, I think two seven figure companies at that time. I mean, you are at least one. And so yeah, here you are. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So, you know, you, here you are this serial entrepreneur and you've got this hour a day. So in that moment, of course, not only b- um, battling the physical pain and the emotional pain and the stress of being away from your family and not knowing whether you're going to live or die. Like when you're only have that hour to, to decide, you know, what to focus on. I'm sure part of it's checking in with your family. And then with what little time you have left after that, what's that, what, 20 minutes left? How do you decide what to spend that on for your business? Like, how do you decide what's important? Can you talk us through like what was going through your mind at that moment? I totally can. So here's what it was. It was like, what's going to have the most impact and leverage? So what I'd be thinking about in my kind of waking state throughout this is, you know, like any business, it's all about getting new customers and retention and also keeping your employees active and upbeat. And I, first of all, I gave them control and power and the ability to make decisions. And I also had really good people who I deeply trusted in charge of things who just took away all the minutia and they knew how to filter. And then from there, I recorded audios and would like create a bunch of little one minute, hey, I've got an idea. What about blah, 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 blah. And I'd respond that way. And then the other thing that I did do during that time, uh, which ended up becoming a, a platform and a franchise in itself, is I wrote a book that evolved into Publish and Profit. So part of my story was I wrote, published, promoted a book pushed it to number one bestseller while I was being treated away from home. And, you know, if a guy going through chemotherapy and cancer treatment can do it uh, with on less than an hour uh, a day, anyone can do it. And um, when I came, came out of it, that ended up becoming our, our big launch product. But I think, and, and also it kept me going. So I gamified survival And something that happened while I was sick is someone from the Tony Robbins organization reached out to me and found out that I was sick and um, said, oh man, that's too bad because I was going to ask you if you wanted to speak. And I said, well, when's the event? He told me the date and it was two days before my last treatment ended. And I said, I'm going to be there. I talked to my doctor. They gave me double treatments uh, on two days. So I I got a double treatment the day I left, literally got on a flight. And I had a speaking gig and I had my books printed, which I handed out while I was speaking, which was my first book. And when I told people, and you got to imagine, so here I am, I got about a third of my hair. I weigh less than 150 pounds. My normal size is about 190. And um, I got a spray tan, but I was gray green. And I essentially told people I just had radiation about 14 hours ago. I know I don't look that great, but I uh, just survived cancer. And I told them a little bit of my story and the place went freaking nuts. Wow, that's incredible. 
Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I'm still on chemo and, and I'm standing here with thank God to morphine, you know, it's something like that. I, I did not, and I, and I hadn't eaten anything. Right. So I'm, cause I can't, you know, I'm like, I'm basically 30 seconds from a bathroom if any food's in me. Oh, wow. Uh, but it, it made for a damn good story. And, and it really kept me alive because there was something ahead of me. And that's what I really focused on was, first of all, the truth is I focused on my son and my wife and I had a lot to live for, but I also had this big event. And in my mind, it was like, just like, I just imagined myself on that stage and being able to give and provide a great story. And, and everyone likes a transformational story. And I thought, you know what, if I can be an inspiration to someone else going through this too, you know, maybe it'll make a difference. Yeah. So, I mean, like, like if you can run your companies on less than an hour a day, like what did you learn from that in terms of managing your time that you've carried forward to this day? Like on, I'm assuming it relates to focusing on what really matters and cutting out all the bullshit that doesn't. Yeah. I think my big takeaway, because I, I went through another significant reinvention that started about two years ago and I completed it about a year ago now where I just got up and I decided I'm going to liquidate everything. So after that and selling the last two companies, I started another one right away. Um, we had a public exit and it went okay, but it ended up breaking in the end. The partners were did just some kind of bad things. But I really, the the answer to the question is, most of our lives are filled with chaos and time-wasting BS. And if you want proof of that, social media. I've, I do no social media now. I have someone do it for me. I, never, I don't spend any time on it. And I can't tell you how much peace I have as a result of it. So it's a thorough and total waste of time. I'm not saying it's not useful. I have a platform and I use it. But to me, it's a one-way mechanism. And I have someone give me the data instead of me looking at it. And who knows how much time that saves by itself or the mental energy it sucks up. Mm -hmm. Second thing is very few things give us maximum impact. One of them that is an absolute for sure is, of course, working out. So I never have an excuse of I don't have time to work out. I bought a Peloton bike, one of the best physical hacks that exists. So 20 minutes on that, you can sweat like a total pig and detox and feel like a million bucks every single day and it tracks your progress. And if you wear something like an Apple Watch or a, a Whoop device or something like that, it'll track everything and you know what's going on and then you can see the relationship to how you feel and how you sleep. And that gets to the next thing, which is just spend as much time in your bed asleep as possible. And then I invest in my deepest, most meaningful, intimate relationships, my wife and my son, people who are close to me. And that's the way I, I plan my day now. I do not plan it based upon what is urgent work-related because the truth is if you ignore most of it, absolutely nothing will happen. It just doesn't. And, and it took me years to figure that out. It's just our, our fear of not being enough, not being good enough, of running out, of not having enough is in the illusion. Yeah, that is so true. And that's such an important point that 
I'm glad you brought up because, you know, that I don't know if I told you my story, but that's what happened to me, you know, after my house fire. And then what I learned after that three years ago, I finally figured out that if I just take the schedule I've always wanted, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'd always wanted to have is what I now call freedom days just to wake up and say, what do I want to do today that makes me happy? I don't have any appointments. I don't have anything I have to do. What do I want to do out of pure joy? And when I finally actually did that, I made the most money in my life in the year I worked the least and I couldn't believe it. I thought everything was going to fall apart, but it didn't. It turns out it was the greatest gift I'd ever discovered. And that's what I now call forced hyper-efficiency, where you limit, you limit the amount of time you're willing to work. Like what you did when you were forced to when you're going through those treatments at Duke and what you've since done you know, and made it a way of life for yourself. So that's, that's incredible. Right. And I think the, the best investments are long-term platform creation. So this year after I sold and liquidated everything, the business, my products, my studio, which I had my identity wrapped up in, all the things that were egoic in nature, that was the grand test. And when I got rid of them, you know, nothing horrible happened and it didn't mean anything. Temporary, right? So all these attachments that we have, oh my God, if I get rid of that, then it means this. And it's like, no one's sitting around thinking about you except for you. And it's your job to stay in front of the people who matter. And it's interesting how much time we waste investing in thinking that we owe someone a reaction or a response. You don't owe anyone anything unless you have a contract. And so when you limit those agreements, and make certain that everything you've agreed to accomplishes something that you want to accomplish. So if it's financial in nature, make sure that that is an agreement. And don't agree to do something unless there's an investment and there's skin in the game. So I had, you know, I, I thought of this yesterday. I had something happen. I still got stuck into it and I decided it was going to be a way to make a declaration and a test. But I had someone reach out to me that just did, does not vibe with me. So here's another thing that I pay close attention to. It's, I call it orcs and elves. What's the first word? Orcs and elves or high-frequency aliens and those who are not. And if you're a high-frequency alien, you know who you are and you know what, that I'm talking to you. And if that doesn't resonate, then you probably aren't someone I'm going to be working with. <laughs> So I tell people, it's like, you know, they say, so who do you work with? I go high frequency aliens. And they're going to be people who know who they are and understand that uh, depth of a relationship and going deep and narrow and meaningful and not wasting time on total nonsense. Like if you're a Kardashian fan, probably not someone I want to work with. If you love standing in line in Walt Disney World in hot, sweaty environments around deep fried food and gigantic tattooed people, probably not my kind of person, you know, and I'm not trying to be a jerk here. It's just like, so anyway, this guy reached out to me and he had a, a bad idea and he's trying, basically trying to rope me into giving him a whole bunch of free consulting advice. Okay. That's really what it comes down to or leverage my platform. And uh, my exercise, which was just now it's a copy paste email is, you know, again, he's trying to rope me in. He's trying to get me to put a bad idea in front of someone who's out of his reach, who he hasn't earned the right to have a conversation with, okay? That's a good way of putting it. And, um, yeah, I wrote back to him and I just said, I just, first of all, thanks for reaching out to me. 
I think it's a bad idea and here's why. So I just gave him honesty without being a jerk. I said, just so you're aware, I'm going to give you what's a hell yes for me and what's a hell no. So here's the hell yeses, three things. Here are the hell no's. And I heard this years ago from Guy Kawasaki. So I'm not saying this to, to represent him, but it's what he said. And the first time I heard it, I thought, God, what a jerk. And then after I thought about it, I thought, what a man who appreciates honesty, freedom, and liberty and stands for what's right. And basically, he said something like, I'm going to paraphrase it, but he said, I don't want any more friends. I have all the friends I need. I love my family. I know exactly who I am. And I know how to earn what I need and what I'm interested in. And I love everything about my life. And he said, if you want to pay me, I'd be happy to show up. Here are my rates. And I'm going to show up and I'm going to deliver huge value. And then I'm going to go. And don't expect anything else. That's what you get. Right? And I know in the past I'd be bothered by that, but I realized I was one of those guys. I was a vampire. If I expected something and I thought, well, if I get my toe in the door and get this, then it might mean this. And it's like, that's dishonest. And so I think um, what's connected to this efficiency is really being honest and really creating containers and rule sets and, and declaring your values, having the courage to walk away and making a declaration of how you're willing to behave and operate. And that's what I would have healed faster. And I think I wouldn't have gotten sick faster if I would have operated with a declared set of values and rules as well. Well, and I assume then, given what you were just saying about that, that you look at email like I do now, it's like, that's just other people's agendas. I'll look at it when I need to or when I have to, because a client and I have agreed that there's something I need to deal with there. Otherwise, to me, it's just a database of information of other people's agendas. Yeah. So basically what I do is I have my assistant reads all my emails and responds to all of them. We cover my calendar, which is everything drives to my calendar. If it's not on my calendar, then it doesn't exist and it's not going to happen. And then I, for the most part, I completely ignore it. And as soon as I started slowing down and being a lot more selective and increasing my prices by 10x, I just don't get that many emails. And um, most of it goes into a box that's sifted and sorted by my secondary assistant. So I have two assistants. So I have tier one and tier two. If it gets past tier two and it gets to me, fine. And I got my private account. But for the most part, yeah, I just basically ignore it. And my means of communication is through text or through now it's face-to-face -face because uh, this is uh, another interesting thing. I did, a, I, I did an interview earlier today with Dan Sullivan. And what's important about events and filtering and having your declared values and what's an absolute no and what's a hell yeah is the, the relationships I focus on the most are flesh relationships. I invest hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to belong to high-level groups and masterminds. If you want access to me, you want to meet me, the best way is to belong to those groups. So it's not who's going to be there, it's who's not going to be there. And the bigger the investment, the more skin you have in the game, the more valuable and high quality the caliber of those relationships generally are. And that's not an always. My intent is not to, again, to be a snob. I still market, I still advertise, but the declaration is my podcasts. I produce an immense amount of content right now that's free. It's my creme de la creme experience, wisdom, knowledge, 
it's free. And then if you want to engage, just to keep things simple and free, yeah, there's a there's a starting point. My minimum engagement is $75,000 and goes to $250,000 and or with equity. And that limiter provides so much freedom and simplicity. And, and it, it took a lot of courage to be able to do that instead of relying on, ooh, how many can I, how, what kind of conversions? Another funnel and all this busy nonsense that's just an infectious disease. Yeah, can we talk more about that? Because I think that's so important in that, you know, so many people let so many other people dictate their agendas and they're afraid to ask for what they're really worth or to put boundaries around what they really want. And so now if the price point to work with you is, you know, $75,000, do you just direct the people that don't meet that criteria to your free stuff and the other ways that they can, you know, just get, get your wisdom without hiring you one-on-one? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all on my website. So if they're on the website or if I get an ask or something, again, I'm never going to be a jerk to anyone. What I've built are a whole bunch of video responses to inquiries that I took a lot of time to think about and prepare. So all of them result in a high value reaction or response. So again, just to be clear, I don't ignore people. What I do instead is I gather the data. I know what kind of questions get asked of me. And what I do is have all of these responses set up so my team can react and respond accordingly. They know what to deal with. So only the unique ones are the ones that are direct. They go through a filter system. So for example, there's an application or if it's a referral. So the, my favorite mechanism now, I, I see the elegance and beauty in referrals, even though, oh my God, it's not automated. It's not automatic. Now, the funny thing is, is those things are a result of a great platform and a behavior over time. And that is a different mindset. And it comes from a saying that uh, I had a teacher help me with, which is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's what snipers are taught. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Nice. Yeah. Well, and that's great. Well, and I love what you were talking about with, you know, you're not a jerk to anyone, but you've already pre-recorded a lot of the most frequently asked questions. So your staff knows how to send back, you know, what feels like a personal message to that, to that person from you that, you know, they can get the answer they were looking for. And it's not, you're not being a jerk, but you've, you've leveraged yourself in, in a good way. So that's huge. So what's your lifestyle like now in terms of, you know, the, the hours that you work? You still grinding away at 80 hours a week? I know you're not because I have to ask the question. <laughs> no, ma'am. Uh, so here's what happened. Uh, the, the break for me, there was a, let's call it a long period of many, many hours and many in a chaos addiction and busy, busy, and then cancer. And then it ended up winding back up again. It was just fear, a traumatic fear. And I would even go so far as to say epigenetic embedded fear from multi, multiple generations of, of poverty or poverty consciousness that just ran on both sides of the family, my mom's and my dad's. And it took a long time to come to terms with that and realize that some of the stuff is mine and some of it isn't and it needed to be worked on. And I got a lot of, I did a lot of, personal work and inner work. 
and journeying to get there and, and invested a tremendous amount in therapy and therapists and that, and that sort of thing. So let's call that stage, you know, whatever. And then two years ago, approximately, I had a, a, a reckoning that I had a lot of anxiety, depression for the first time that I know of in my life. I did not want to get out of bed and I felt trapped and got very fearful. I lost my courage and I was, got super emotional. I started crying a lot. I just like lost the thing I thought was me. Some of it was hormonal, you know, early 50s. The second part was I just did feel trapped and I didn't feel I had a way out of the way I was doing things. And again, I got a lot of support, a lot of help and did a lot of inner work and got my butt in shape. So as a result, decided to wind everything down, liquidate, sell everything and reinvent again. So having said that, now I'm going to answer your question. The daily routine after I did the, the exit is I did take quite a few months off where I just traveled and I didn't do anything I didn't want to do, but I did start focusing on building my platform, writing, creating content. So I became a, a writer for entrepreneur media and I, I write articles. I also started a podcast with Dan Sullivan. I'm about to start another podcast with a gentleman named Gay Hendricks who wrote The Big Leap and a whole bunch of other books. He's a genius. Who's another 70-some-year-old, 73, Dan 75. I love sages, right? Magicians and old souls and, and uh, wise people who are brilliant. But anyway, uh, so the day now, every day I work out. So if I'm down at, we have a place on the beach. If I'm down in La Jolla, I get up work on monkey bars, do body weight exercises, run in the water barefoot on the sand for two to four miles. And then I swim. So I cold plunge. Pacific Ocean ain't warm. You know, it's cold. And then I'll get up and shower and that'll be like, bam. And then from there, my quote unquote workday usually starts at nine. And after all the time off, I'm working about four days now, usually from about, call it 9 to 3.30, something like that with um, a break. And that's been pretty consistent since I started getting a little bit busier because I am building a, another business framework. But I feel like it's, it's choice. It's decision-based. I don't feel like I'm a slave to anything right now. And then on weekends, I do not work. I haven't in quite a while. I haven't, haven't worked a weekend in a long time unless I'm away somewhere and speaking, but that's not happening often. And I play with my wife. We go out a lot. We walk a lot. We go hiking and um, spend a lot of time by the ocean just hanging out, talking. Uh, she's got her nonprofit, so I spend a fair amount of time supporting her and being an advisor. And I would say about depending on the day, anywhere from 20 to 40% of the day is what I'd call platform creation. So like what we're doing now, doing a podcast episode. Today, I did two episodes with Dan. And then yesterday, I did a substantial interview. I had someone come in and that's you know, a, a big interview and an article. And I'm lending my, my platform to well, you know him, uh, Dimitri Kozlov from Influx. 
he's been really supportive in building my personal brand and personal website. So, um, uh, so I've been working with other entrepreneurs and, and partners and uh, elevating them and amplifying them as well. And now I've been doing the, uh, the Entrepreneur Elevator Pitch TV show. I got asked to come back for season six. They want me as an anchor judge, which is a great opportunity. And then um, there is a huge sporting event. It's called IMG. It's like where all the big football players get together and it's where all the branding, et cetera. It's a big agency thing. I got invited to that. So again, a lot of big branded events where there's players, players making huge impact, but there, it, I feel a lot more relaxed about it. I don't know how else to describe it except probably two hours of must do a day, four days a week would be what I'd say. And then the rest of it is want to's and they're all leverage related. So it comes down to how do I create stories that motivate people to want to invest and grow and buy because I've got these higher investment offers when I'm working with people and building their brands. I don't have to work as much. I can spend more time thinking and being, which creates massive bursts of energy. It's sort of like superhuman powers to be able to, you know, it's like a big lever. It's Archimedes lever. So the more time that you have to reserve and conserve and influence, that's when you've got major impact. It does not come from doing this incremental nonsense, chaos addiction. So I don't know if that gave you what you needed, but um, that'd be the best way I can articulate it off the top of my head. Yeah, it sounds like kind of what I've experienced. Tell me if this is true for you. You know, basically with my schedule that I was talking about, my Tuesdays and Thursdays, like literally by giving myself space from what I used to do in 80 hours a week, now I force myself to do it in less than 40. I figured out that the ideas and solutions come to me more easily, more with ease and grace, um, as I've heard other people say before, than like kind of forcing it. And also I'm happier as a person, the relationships in my life are better and things are just like more obvious what the next action is. And when I force myself to only work on uh, less hours, it's more, I have to focus on what's going to actually produce the results. And that's actually where I came up with the name, the vacation effect, because you know how you become super productive right before you go on vacation and you get like a month's worth of work done the two days before you leave. You know, it's like, it's that forced hyper efficiency. You do it because you're forced to focus like you were when you're going through chemo treatment. Like, why don't we put those kind of limits in place for ourselves so that we can have a better life and we can force ourselves to focus on, on what really matters. Is that kind of like uh, my, my version of what you were saying from with my story twisted into it? Is that accurate? It's great. I think (laughs) uh, I'll add to it a little bit or plus the story. So I, I completely agree. And again, I, when I watch your transformation and where you've drawn your line in the sand. It's elegant, it's beautiful, and it's, it's really courageous. Thank you. You're welcome. And what is also important is uh, I think I'm a little bit older than you, so I count my days in a certain way. You know, we all have our lens on how we see aging and getting older. So I'm 53 right now, and um, I don't feel old. I feel really young. Um, I've got my health and I'm in actually some of the best shape of my life right now. And I see how fast the time goes. And something I did for a long time is as soon as I get here, then I'll. And that thinking is extremely dangerous. There's a guy I've been working with. His name's Charlie Epstein. 
been working with him on a really fascinating project. And he does something, he calls it desirement coaching or desirement planning. He doesn't do retirement planning. And he tells stories about all these 60 some 70 year olds who finally get to there and they literally die the next week or they have a brain aneurysm on vacation when they finally arrive and they have enough. And I will tell you right now that that is an infectious disease. And if that is the story you've got going on or the racket in your head, that is a virus and it's an error. It's an error in your programming because uh, the, the better way of looking at it is when you, when you really embody gamifying your life and gamifying money and gamifying value and having little rewards along the way, that's where the true happiness comes from. And I can't tell you how miserable I made myself by not taking time out. And this whole illusion of I can't do that because, or what if this happens and then I run out, more than likely the bad programming that's going on and the bad behavior patterns are, you know, sort of like, well, you know, I'm going to reward myself with this dessert or I deserve this. And it's more like you're feeding an addiction instead of playing the long game. And so this is, again, just having honest conversations with yourself and also with your spouse, because if you're not having an honest conversation with yourself, you're definitely not with your spouse or your partner. And that takes a lot of work. You know, for example, renegotiate your entire life on your terms for any reason at any time. And that includes with your spouse. Yeah, that's, and thank you for making that point too. I call what you were talking about the someday, maybe, someday, maybe I'll get around to this. Someday, maybe I'll get around to that. To me, I'm like, either bring them into now or just be honest with yourself and say, I'm never going to do that. Either start doing them in some way today or let them go. So yeah, thank you so much for, for mentioning that. And if there's one thing, you know, this is my last question for you before we wrap up. If you had just one thing to go back and tell your 20-year-old self who was working his ass off, you know, with everything you've learned through these ups and downs about being an entrepreneur, what would be the best advice you'd give your 20-year-old self about life, happiness, business? It can be any of those. Just one thing. Yeah. What's the, what's the most valuable? All right. Well... I'm going to give you the, the short version. I'm going to enhance it a little bit, which is play the long game. And the long game to me is I spent a lot of time chasing a bunch of little things that were good enough, thinking it was going to grow into something that would be better or the exit or whatever. And instead of building a sustainable, meaningful, high quality platform. And that means like, for example, I knew about, and I started podcasting a long time ago, but I wound up hacking it, creating a product that helped people get a lot of traffic online. And I mechanized and automated all this stuff. And I focused on the tool instead of a message platform of meaning and purpose of long-term value and being really open and honest and having a deep, meaningful conversation with a lot of people and focusing on the highest end relationships that I wanted to have for the rest of my life instead of simple transactional ones that might get me there, right? It's that vampiric energy sucking 
fear-driven nonsense instead of slowing down and doing the one thing that actually matters with people who I want to have meaningful relationships with and a message that was true and honest to who I was. The truth was I think I, I was not true to myself and in turn I was not true to other people for decades. And I was just too weak and young and dumb and, and whatever, sabotage, whatever it was. I forgive it all. I'm not sad about it. But I would have gotten a lot further faster and been prouder along the way and not hiding behind all these stacked fears that I was completely unconscious and unaware of. So could my 20-year-old self even know what the hell I just said and understood it (laughs) and had the wherewithal without an enormous amount of therapy and treatment? Probably not. You know, I had to go through what I had to go through to get to where I am. And I'm not saying I'm cooked or there yet. I'm still a scared baby a lot of the time and totally insecure. At least now I'm aware of it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's that insecurity critter who's standing on my shoulder. I see you. I'm not going to let you affect me, but I see you and I feel you. And it's okay. You're just a little thing. But I don't have to give that thing any time any longer. So wherever the forgiveness and the compassion comes along with that, and, and who knows if I could have said, forgive yourself now, just be okay. And now you have not, nothing bad is actually going to happen. So that was the long-winded version. And if I could orchestrate that into the fewest number of words, I'd need a, I'd need a couple hours to concoct just that one headline for you. No, but that's awesome because, you know, it's, it's, and thank you for your honesty there, because I think everybody at different phases in our lives have not been true to ourselves. And, you know, we all, we're always going to be learning. And the moment we think we're perfect, it's, it's just, we're not being honest with ourselves. None of us are ever going to be perfect. It's a journey. But I think the key message that I'm hearing from you is that you've learned to be true to yourself and be happy in the moment and not wait till someday maybe something else happens that you could then be happy. Just to learn to be happy by just being alive and being true to yourself and being with the people you love. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think uh, that's uh, pretty darn accurate. It's choose simplicity. You know, one thing I, I will say that's connected with that is I have and I own everything I've ever wanted. I don't want anything else right now. The only thing I'd really want is more of what I'm experiencing, what I have. I'm perfectly content. I have a great marriage, amazing son, good health. I went a little nuts this last year. I bought the car I've wanted for a long time and it's a total blast. I have a toy, you know, and I commute 30 seconds to work each day. You know, I don't, I don't have overhead any longer that keeps me up at night. Um, I have a very, very minimal team, which is delightful because I'm not a manager. I don't like managing people at all. So it's like, I know who I am. I know what I like and I don't desire or need, nor am I jealous or envious of what someone else has. And that freedom took a damned long time. It took 53 years to get here, maybe 52, but whatever the hell it is. So peace is, uh, is, the, is the byproduct. And in the meantime, I love providing that and working on it with the people I get to work with now. It's, it's a joy. 
Well, I'm just laughing a little bit to myself here because you and I have gone through similar journeys. When I first worked with you, we were both in the workaholic grind, grind, grind phase. And it's just so refreshing, almost in parallel with each other. (laughs) It's amazing. I can remember it's like, how in the hell do you do what you're doing, woman? Oh, thank you. I I was thinking the same thing about you. You're like the energizer bunny that like never seems to run out of batteries, but that was no drugs. No cocaine. I remember your whole disruptosaurus uh, costume you used to wear around, but you know, I'm so glad that you and I both, although I'm sorry, it took life-changing incidents for both of us, but I mean, what a gift we were both given to have a, have a second chance of the way we look at life and to know that you actually can grow your business faster by working less and having more fun. And you can have the freedom that you've always wanted. So I'm so glad that you joined me today. And I wanted to know if you have any resources you can point the listeners to if they want to find out more. I know you talked about you've got lots of free resources on your websites. What's the best place for them to go to? What do you recommend they check out? Yeah. So I'm going to give you just a couple things. One of them, yeah, hit my website, which is mikekoenigs.com. And I have on there, there's a gift that's on the main website, which is all about, I call it your value gap. It's understanding where your highest value comes from. And I'm adding some more great content. So if you just got on my list, the other thing I'm I'm going to add to that gift is I think the best way to give yourself freedom, power, and build a platform is by building some kind of a studio in your home or your office. I've found that if you're in a position where you can create a video or an audio or a video response to people, your highest value connections, just easily and smoothly. You don't have to travel as much. It has more impact. And I come from a point of view, I never write proposals any longer. No proposals. Someone wants a proposal, I'll be like, write a check for 10 grand, I'll give you a proposal. Okay. Um, Because proposals generally don't convert, statistically speaking, but conversations do. So you want to warm people up to a conversation. So what this video does is it breaks down how I built my studios and what's inside them and a way of thinking about creating super high value connections. So that would be my gift to you is just come and subscribe on my website and then certainly subscribe to the podcast I do with Dan Sullivan, Capability Amplifier, which is also on the website but also on the website, there's books and stuff. There's all kinds of goodies to download. But if you got those two things, I think it's going to revolutionize your brain, the way you think and how you engage with people and how you value yourself. And that really is the key to happiness, success, freedom, liberty, and uh, and increasing your income three to five times this year. That's awesome. Well, and I'll make sure those links get included in the show notes for this for this episode. Well, Mike, I am so grateful to you for jumping in this with me and being one of my first guests on the podcast. I'm honored to have had you on today. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was great catching up with you. Rock and roll. Like I said in the very beginning, I love you, Denise. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, I love you too. You've been a good friend and client for a long time, and I'm really happy we got to chat. And, and remember, everyone, freedom is a mindset, not a destination. Thanks so much for listening. For more information about The Vacation Effect or for details on today's show, head over to our website at vacationeffect.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.